OCO and welcome to Exploring Cherokee History. My name is Kristen Mosier and I work with the Cultural Tourism Department. Today we're going to be visiting with Roy Boney Jr. about Sequoia and the development of the Cherokee syllabary. Roy, you are the language program manager at Cherokee Nation, correct? Yes, uh, I oversee translation, the language technology program, and the community language program. And all these fall under the Cherokee language department. Uh, that's a new department that was established recently by Chief Hoskin. And we have a, a new executive director of that program, Howard Payton. So I, I, this all falls under him. Well, um, so I wanted to have you on today so that we could discuss a little bit about Sequoia. So this year is the 200th anniversary of the formal introduction of the syllabary to the Cherokee people. And a lot of people may not know the origins of the syllabary or how Sequoia was inspired or what he did to develop it. So uh, what, what do we know about Sequoia's early life? I know that, you know, a lot of people say that he's probably one of the most famous people that we know so little about, but I just wanted to see what, what you uh, had to say about his early life. Yeah, that is a very common statement because he is so famous, but his early life is not much is known about it. It's a lot of speculation. Uh, but we do know that he served in the military under Andrew Jackson. Uh, and some of the historians say that's when he saw other soldiers riding home that the idea for the syllabary kind of occurred to him that if if they can write these messages home, why can't we do that? And that's kind of what spurred his interest in developing a writing system. How did he start developing the syllabary? Was this something that he tried to develop a symbol for each word or a symbol for each other. Can you tell me a little bit about that process and maybe what a syllabary is? Yeah, yeah. So at the beginning, the idea was that he would he would try to make a symbol for every word, but discovered that was very cumbersome to do that. Uh, so he started looking at other uh, writing systems. There are some people that, again, not much is known about what happened, but the Later historians say that they believe he saw some uh, German Bibles. Uh, according to some elders, uh, like Hastings Shade, who had passed away a few years ago, but he told me once that he was told growing up that Sequoia uh, watched the movements of you know, insects on the ground or the clouds in the sky and how things move. So some of those shapes and curves and things appeared in the writing system itself. So as, as he went through various forms of it, you know, initially doing the one symbol for every word and going trying to identify all the various sounds of Cherokee. Uh, they say there was a version that had like some over 100 different characters and it got whittled down to like some 90 and it ended up being an 86. So as he went, he kept you know refining it and identifying those really specific sounds of Cherokee so he could add it to the, or mark every sound with a, a symbol. This sounds like it would have been a huge undertaking. About how long did it take him to develop it? Uh, the estimates are roughly from 1809 to 1821. So it was quite a, a big chunk of time, you know, trying to figure this out. And you know, the, the famous story is that one time one of his wives set his work on fire. And so he had to start over again. Uh, there are stories about people saying that he was practicing witchcraft, you know, with this un unknown kind of you know, magic. And so, you know, he had a lot of hardship trying to develop it. So it was really great that he persevered and that he, we have what he made now. And he, uh, you know, a misconception is that it's an alphabet. It's not, it's actually, it's, it's a modified syllabary. And what that means is that there are syllable sounds like, you know, ga, ha, you know, those kinds of sounds. 
versus just a, an alphabet, which just has like the uh, uh, consonant sound, like a, like a P sound or an F sound or something like that. So it's a combination of a consonant and vowel, but there are also some vowels in it, uh, standalone vowels, and there are also uh, there's a set the S sound, which is just a S, and so that's not a syllable, but it still is a uh, given its own distinct glyph. Syllabary was introduced in 1821 to the Cherokee people. What was that process like, and what was its reception? There's the famous story with that as well, where he uh, was asked to demonstrate his uh, system to the, the council. And so he brought his daughter, Ahioka, and what they did is they separated them. Uh, he wrote, or she wrote a message, and she, they took it back to him, and he read it. And so that you know, demonstrated that this actually worked. And once people saw, once the council saw that, and then the people saw that, they really latched onto it pretty quickly. And, you know, the stories go that, you know, literacy spread really quickly because the system itself was made a lot of sense to Cherokee speakers. So it was very easy to learn. I mean, 86 characters sounds like a lot, but once the system itself as a speaker, you know, the people at the time would see that they understood the method of it. So that's why it caught on so quickly. What can you tell me about adapting the syllabary to print? I know that the uh, Cherokee Nation started publishing their own newspaper in 1828. So I was the syllabary as it was originally developed used, or was it, did it have to be adapted to fit to the printing press? Yeah, there, there was a long process of, of modification to it. Uh, initially, Sequoia developed a handwritten cursive style of syllabary, uh, a model of that you can is you can see that in the Gilcrease Museum. They actually have a document that he wrote, and it actually has a signature on it. So it's one of the few documents we have from him that we know it's him. Uh, but it was uh, very much different from what we know now. It was uh, when you think at a time, you know, people were writing uh, using you know quills and pens and things. So if you're if you've ever written with a dip pen with ink, uh, you know if you don't, if you stop moving as you're writing you'll get blotches of ink and things like that. So the original syllabary is very elegant and very cursive looking. That's because it was designed to be written with this, you know, with the pen and ink or quill. Uh, but as it uh, went among communities, uh, you know, if you think about the time frame, 1821 is when, you know, Cherokee Nation officially adapted or adopted it as a writing system. And it wasn't until 1827 when they did the very first printing, which was in a, a newsletter, which had the first five lines of Genesis printed in syllabary. So in that time frame, uh, it modified, it went from the cursive to the print that we see now. And as it developed, Sequoia made the initial uh, invention, but there were several other people that helped with that, like uh, the missionary uh, Samuel Wooster, uh, George Lowry, uh, Charles Hicks, you know, some other these uh, Cherokees actually helped modify it to where we got it now. Okay, so the syllabary by nature actually worked really well for words that were already in the Cherokee language. We know from historical accounts that it was uh, at least somewhat easy for people to learn if they already spoke Cherokee. What can you tell me about the creation of new words, uh, especially now that we're in the digital age? You know, words like email or computer, like how how do we adapt? Do we have to come up with new words for that in the language in order to translate those into the syllabary? Yeah, there's a whole process that we have now formally. Uh, the Cherokee Nation, the United Katua Band, and the Eastern Band of Cherokees uh, have a quarterly meeting of Cherokee speakers called the Cherokee Language Consortium. And what they do is uh, 
they meet and if there are any new terms that need to be developed, they'll discuss it and they'll vote on it. And these terms, uh, these requests come from like our schools. We have, you know, the Cherokee language immersion school. So if the, if the teachers are going to do a science lesson or something, they need new terms made, they'll submit these terms to the group and they'll vote and come up with these. Some of these words just kind of happen organically. Some are, you know, formally decided on like this. So when you have a word like a, a term, for example, like email, uh, you know, our, our translation team uh, met and discussed some ideas and they took those ideas to the consortium. And so if that word is which means like lightning paper. So you kind of see the thought process behind what goes in the creation of new words. Uh, you know, this obviously email did not exist before. So from a Cherokee perspective, you know, they decided, well, like, what about something that's really quick? And they thought of lightning and, you know, it's writing. So it's like paper. So this idea of lightning paper is something that travels really fast. We send messages. So uh, this, this new words, it's, it's very fascinating to watch because uh, these are being developed by Cherokee speakers. Uh, uh, many of them are really, you know, well-grounded in the language they can read, write, very literate, you know, so seeing this process is always very fascinating. Now, both the Android and the Apple operating systems can be, uh, I guess you can change the settings so that you can read your Facebook email and things like that in the Cherokee syllabary. What can you tell me about adapting the syllabary for the operating systems? I mean, was that a huge monumental achievement? Yeah, it was. It's interesting to tie that to history in the sense that we were talking about adaptation earlier of you know cursive to a printing press, and at the time, a printing press was you know a technology that people were using. Uh, it was a mass communication at the time, so we adapted handwriting for printing press. And a few decades later, they adapted the printing press to typewriters, and then went to you know telegrams, and then they went to uh, manual typewriters electric typewriters and by the time we get to the 80s and 90s it's going to word processing documents and programs and things like that so uh, by the time when you think of in terms of computer history uh, by the 80s and 90s you know there were uh, ways to write different languages you know on the computer but there was no standard way where the computer could communicate so if you typed a message let's say in Chinese or something on one computer and your other computers didn't have that same system font, they would not show up properly. So the computer industry had to come up with a way for these machines to talk to each other like that. And so when you see, you know, uh, a non-Latin script like Arabic, Cherokee or whatever it is appearing on a screen that's using this Unicode process. So for Cherokee to be a part of that, uh, it had to be demonstrated that the writing system was in continual use, uh, continual use since its invention. So back in the mid nineties, there are several people at Cherokee Nation that undertook this process, and that was Durban Filling and Dr. Gloria Sly and a gentleman named Michael Everson, who's not Cherokee, but he was a, a very huge proponent of writing systems of the world. So they began this application process to Unicode to make sure that Cherokee would be encoded. So what that meant is that every single character that Sequoia invented was given its own specific code so the computer could read it. And so that code is put on every device now, so laptops, uh, phones, tablets, video game consoles, or anything that's electronic that displays a writing system has Unicode in it. So Cherokee now can be seen in all these devices across the world now. 
so what happened is initially when they made that application process in the mid-90s, it took a few years for them to approve it. So by the early 2000s, it finally met approval, and that's when Apple and Microsoft started putting the, the font and the, the way the type on the computers on the, or type the characters on the computers on their systems. So it was a long process, and it took a while for our own community to uh, adopt it. And once we started using it on the, the laptops and desktops, when smartphones came out and tablets, that was the next evolution. So we, we started working with these companies like Apple and Michael, uh, Microsoft and Google to make sure their systems supported the Cherokee. And they could because of this Unicode system that they all use. So the biggest task really was uh, working with them to develop fonts that would show up properly on the screens. So as we mentioned before, this year is the uh, 200th anniversary of the introduction of the syllabary to the Cherokee people. What can you say about this milestone and, and what it means to Cherokee Nation or Cherokee speakers from any of the three uh, Cherokee tribes? Yeah, they always say Cherokees are some of the most documented people in history because of our long history with treaties and things and even writing systems and because of Sequoia. Uh, but there's always been a lot of uh, conflict and division and people decide or disagree on what being Cherokee is or if that's Cherokee or if that's Cherokee. You know, they, there's all these divisions and commentaries and things. But one of the things that really unites everybody is the syllabary. It's one of the most universal things of Cherokee identity out there. People see the syllabary and they say, well, that's Cherokee. That's one thing that we, everyone seems to agree on, despite political differences or whatever it is. So I think it's fascinating to see this invention by Sequoia enduring so well. And it's, it's always been a uniter for everyone. That's great. So what is the status of the syllabary today? I mean, you mentioned the immersion school earlier. So we are still offering courses and materials in the syllabary to uh, teach new speakers how to read it. Is that correct? Yes, the, the syllabary is still, it's actively used quite a lot. Uh, you know, we do have the immersion school. Uh, we have the master, uh, the Cherokee language master apprentice program, which is for you know, adult learners. They use it in everything. Uh, we have like the, the Cherokee Phoenix is still being published and there are articles in that that are translated into the syllabary. Uh, there are various community members and community organizations that use it. Uh, you know, some churches still use it for record keeping. You know, th there's a lot of places where it does appear. Uh, even online, there's uh, several online communities that are using it. You can find Facebook groups that are through trying to learn Cherokee and they use the syllabary a lot. There are people developing uh, uh, programs on their own. Like there's a, a group that made a Cherokee dictionary that's searchable that uses syllabary. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere now. Uh, having said that though, we still are in a situation where the spoken language is, it's endangered. So we are making sure that we can get this access to everyone that we can. That's one reason how we utilize the technology to make sure that if you wish to communicate using syllabary on any device, you can do it. Uh, so, it is alive, though it's in an endangered situation. So, Roy, you're also an artist. Um, can you tell me how the Cherokee language and your passion for the language can be seen in your artwork? Yeah, I incorporate the syllabary quite a lot into my work, whether it's actually in the image itself or I might, I might name the pieces in syllabary. But it's, it's the re one reason I do that is, you know, I have a really strong interest in you know, the Cherokee language. Uh, I come from family Cherokee speakers. Uh, you know, there's a long line there. I'm, I'm, learner, I'm a learner myself, but 
I'm fascinated by Sequoia as a historical figure because, as we mentioned earlier, he, there's so much that's unknown about him. And he's such a famous Cherokee person. And so I, you know, his, his portrait is very well known. And so I, I do a lot of artistic takes of that portrait. I may put him in, different, in a different setting or a different style or just a different representation of him. So I've had friends joke that I'm obsessed with Sequoia because I draw him so much, but <laughs> it, it leads to my passion for the language. So I'm always doing much, a lot of research about him and his history and the writing system itself. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Roy. I know our viewers have really uh, enjoyed hearing about the history of Sequoia and his development of the Cherokee syllabary. Yeah, what else? If you want to learn more about Sequoia, you can visit the Sequoia's Cabin Museum in Salisaw, Oklahoma. Or if you want to learn more about Cherokee language, you can also visit the Language Department's website at language.cherokee.org. To watch the video version of our podcast and other great series like Cherokee Word of the Week, go to youtube.com slash visit Cherokee Nation. Also, be sure to follow Visit Cherokee Nation on Facebook and Instagram for Cherokee cultural and historical content.